Hey guys, and welcome to Wrapped Up, a podcast where me and you get transported into the world of twists and turns, deep dive research, first-hand accounts, and personal stories, inspired by whatever topic I rabbit hole down this week at 2am. If your curiosity keeps you up at night, but you don't have the time or resources to uncover your most asked questions, you're in the right place. I do all the research, interviewing, exploring, and note-taking for you. So sit back, relax, and let's get to the weekly wrapped up. Hey guys, welcome to episode 6 of Wrapped Up. Today's topic question is something that has been weighing on me since um, elementary school because I've always had trouble with um, spelling, Grammarly saved my life, not sponsored, it definitely should be, Um, but Grammarly really, really helped me because my spelling is deplorable, it's really bad. So that's what inspired the topic question is why is English spelling and English speaking um, not linear, like at all like they're completely separate entities and I was like what's up with that so I did a bunch of research and guys let me tell you it is way more complex than I thought it was gonna be I honestly was expecting something like well some dude in 1974 messed something up I don't know what I was expecting I guess but not this Um, because you see the issue dates all the way back to the fifth century which for those of you who don't know what year the 5th century started, that would be January 1st, 401 AD. And now we are in 2021 AD. So it's been quite, it's been a minute, you know, just a little minute, just a, just a twinge in time since the English, since the English language started to develop. So I'm going to do my best to squeeze in thousands and thousands of years into about a 25-minute podcast. So we're going to see how that goes, and hopefully it's not a complete disaster because this is actually super interesting. So without further ado, let's get right into Discovery 1. Discovery 1 is essentially the origin story of the English language and how many different cultures came together to create it, kind of like a bunch of different cultures came to develop the United States of America. As I said, the English language started to develop in the 5th century. So it's been in development for over 1600 years now, which is pretty amazing. The era that the English language started, the 5th century, is what we know today as Old English. Modern English wasn't in the making, or I guess the foundations weren't being set for modern English, until the end of the 5th century. According to ESLlanguages.com, quote, After the Romans left in the 5th century, Various Germanic tribes invaded and settled in England, bringing with them the language that forms the basis of modern English." Interestingly enough, it wasn't until 597 AD that the alphabet arose. It came along with Christian missionary Augustine of Canterbury. I don't know if I'm saying that right, but that's my best guess. The original alphabet only had 23 letters and 35 sounds. Um, For reference, as most of you know, we now have 24 letters, 
but we also have 44 sounds, so almost double. The Christians borrowed a couple of runic letters to describe the sounds, but eventually still stuck with the Roman letters and just kind of put them together in ways that um, the Roman letters were not designed for. They said, hmm, these letters are nice, but I don't like the grammar, so I'm making up my own. I don't know. I don't know if that's a good idea, guys. Many, many years later, the Vikings invaded in 1066 and spoke French. This made the French language the official language of English aristocrats and the government. But peasants still spoke English. I don't really know how that works, but those are the facts, guys. I report the facts. Eventually, when the Normans lost Normandy, they switched to English. However, most official documents were written in French, and universities and church texts were in Latin. So, as you can see, it was kind of a mess. The Vikings invaded and spoke French, and then all of a sudden, the rich people in England and all the people in the government were like, hmm, French. Yeah, let's do that. And then the peasants were like, no, I'm speaking English. And then whatever happened with the, the Normans when they lost their original language and switched to English came over to, you know, England and stuff and were like, hmm, we switched to English because that's what they spoke. But now everyone in here is speaking French and the churches and the schools are speaking Latin. I'm lost. They're lost. Everybody's lost. And the whole thing is just a big mess. And I suppose the Normans were just, you know, annoyed and tired of it all because they just started using the Roman alphabet and wrote down whatever they heard. And obviously that led to a bunch of inconsistencies within the language. As time went on and the problem wasn't solved, Latin and French bled together into the vocabulary of modern English and scholars were widely inconsistent with what was written in English versus what with what was written in French. So basically, to summarize what I just said, what was happening is things were being written with French spelling and other things were being spelled by English sounds. So if there's two people in a room and they're both hearing the same language, one is writing down what they hear based on the grammar rules of the French language. The other person is writing down what they hear based on the sounds coming out of the, the speaker's mouth. So we have somebody who's using a completely different grammar set and someone who is just writing Roman letters down based on what they're hearing. And then whatever those two people in that room wrote down were combined and put into a language. So as you can see, that caused a multitude of issues, and it only got worse as time went on. Speaking of time going on, let's do a huge jump because this is where things get really spicy. We're in the year that the printing press was introduced. Wow, guys. If you ever sat in any, any history class in the United States of America, you know how big and how influential this printing press thing was. Um, but it also came with a lot of problems. According to eslanguage.com, quote, 
English was also filling up with new foreign words to describe the concepts that arrived with the Renaissance as people rediscovered classic text and became open to new ideas for which English had no words, end quote. So essentially, um, that phenomenon was happening at the same time that the printing press was introduced. So as these people were coming up with new words to either replace words that they already had or to create a word for something that they previously didn't have a word for, um, people were doing that on their own and then writing it through the printing press. So this causes a, an issue when you have a lot of different people being like, this is a new word, and then, you know, somebody else being like, this is a new word, and then they mean the same thing, and then nobody knows it, nobody knows which word to use. And this happened a lot. There was also the issue of how widespread the printing press and, you know, different people who knew how to use it um, spread throughout the country and throughout the world. Many printers were actually Dutch in the United States, and they used Dutch spellings. So now you just have people making up new words, bringing in new foreign words. You have the Dutch being like, I'm spelling this the way that I learned to spell it in Dutch, and then you have all the peasants being like, bro, I just want to speak English, why are you doing this to me? So, I don't know why it got so confusing, so I did a little bit more research, and what I found was enormously disappointing. And we'll get right into that in Discovery 2. So Discovery 2, I have titled gloriously The Unscholarly Scholars because I don't know who gave these absolute buffoons the title of scholar because all they did was mess things up. I mean, you know, foresight is the greatest gift, but at the same time, you had to have seen the problems with what they were doing. Let me, let me give you some context here. Let's do a time jump back to when the French language was being used by English aristocrats and the government back in 1066. French spelling was applied to English, um, so obviously that, that changed some of the spellings of words that were already pretty prevalent, and scholars felt, and, and guys, I'm not even, I did not make this up, this is 100% true and it's 100% ridiculous, scholars felt that the letters U, N, M and V looked too similar. Guys, they look nothing alike. And they were like, nope, they look too similar, um, garbage, um, we're throwing them away. So they changed almost all of the spellings that involved those letters. So they actually replaced uh, the letter U with the letter O in words like done. So done used to be spelled with a U and now it's spelled with an O because they didn't want to put U and N next to each other because they were like, nope, too similar. Nope, can't work. And obviously they don't look the same at all. So that is just one example and that was thousands of years ago. But I mean, I guess we've never had a grip on who to call scholars and who not to call scholars because this even continued when the printing press was introduced. Guys, it never ends. It never ends. But one has to wonder if it's completely the scholar's fault or more of a societal and governmental issue. 
You see, languages typically have an academy to regulate its words and grammar, but English does not. This lack of an academy is one of the reasons why English spelling is so complicated. And, you know, without some form of regulation, it's up to the individuals. So uh, scholars kind of took it into their own hands and each of them did it individually and differently. They were basically like, let's DIY a language. And now we can see that that was an absolutely terrible idea, but I mean, they were working with what they had, so can you really blame them? I don't know. Who's to say? I think we can point our fingers at one scholar. I think we can look at this guy and be like, okay, um, problem A, B, C, and D are all your fault, no one to blame but yourself, and that is the man Noah Webster. As we know, modern English is different from English that's used in the United Kingdom. Whose fault is that? It's mostly Noah Webster's. Um, you may recognize that name from uh, your classroom dictionary. It's the same dude. He created the first American dictionary in 1828, where he listed words such as color, honor, and favor. Um, and he spelled them without a U, which um, in British English, all of those words are spelled with a U. Why did he do this? What was the point of it? Um, well, he did have a reason, which is most uh, more than most scholars could have said back then. Um, but his reason was uh, clownery at its finest. He was trying to remove French influence in the English language. Um, obviously, that makes no sense. Why change a British spelling when you want to remove French influence from English? That's three different countries, three different languages, and um, I'm pretty sure in 1828, the British and the French were not on good terms. So it's not like, you know, they were scheming to infiltrate the extremely terrible language that we are building here. Like, why are you changing British spelling to remove French influence? Makes no sense, but that was his reasoning. So that's why he did it. And that's why British English and modern English uh, or American English is spelled quite differently. Um, so... He was trying to be petty, but he ended up just making everything worse. Lesson of the day, guys. Don't be bitter, because then you cause problems like this. You ruin an entire language, okay? Don't hold grudges. Don't be bitter. Don't be petty, or else you'll ruin an entire language. So, uh, just, just keep that in mind. A great example of someone who wasn't petty, someone who just let loose and was just like, man, the British, the French, I'm worried about writing my plays. Guessed right, you you are correct, that is Shakespeare. Shakespeare was the only scholar during this time that I'm like, yup, he's, he's a scholar, he's got it going on. Because in the 18th century, when spelling was still fluid and uh, variations were quite normal, unlike today, um, Shakespeare, the guy who wrote, you know, Hamlet and Macbeth, the really prominent dude, he signed his name differently um, a bunch of times. You'll notice that if you look at original text from the 18th century, Shakespeare is often signed in uh, a variety of different ways, and it wasn't a big deal. It was actually quite normal. It actually wasn't until the creation of the dictionary, <clears throat> no Webster, that the language froze and um, we had a clear outline of what was a correct and incorrect spelling uh, according to the dictionary. You know, not according to logic or reason or 
anything, you know, sensible just because, you know, we wrote a dictionary and we were like, this is correct and this is incorrect. But, you know, back in the day, you know, we were all just kind of chill about it. We were all like, you spelled it wrong. Spelling, smelling, okay? The variations are everywhere. Even even my man Shakespeare did it. Um, I think we should go back to that time. So then I can stop getting points marked off for spelling because and business wrong. But to be honest, there is always that nagging question in the back of my head. Sure, it would be nice to go back to that time, um, but everything is so, you know, ingrained and implanted in English. Everything is set in stone because of the dictionaries. Um, it's used widely and globally throughout the world. So how would we even manage to fix it? Or can we even manage to fix it? And why hasn't anybody really made any substantial effort in fixing the issue between English speaking and English spelling? Well, we'll get right into that in Discovery 3. So Discovery 3 is that the English language is complex and too widespread to be changed. Um, originally, there were some attempts at reform. Um, George, George Bernard Shaw, I think I'm saying that right, and Teddy Roosevelt actually were people who advocated uh, for a change in language, but uh, they failed because no one could agree on literally anything. Um, welcome to American democracy. Anyways, um, but, you know, it's like, okay, but why did all those reforms fail? I mean, I feel like some people who tried to change it were pretty respectable people. So what makes it so complicated that nobody can really agree? I mean, we've already been over the complex history, but it's not all over the place anymore. We have, you know, stuff that's set in stone. So why can't we just, you know, shift the stones a little bit, bend the rules, make a new dictionary and start teaching it, make subtle changes over time or whatever, or maybe just allow more flexibility in the language. So I did some research and I found out and it actually makes complete sense. So let's get on into it. So let's start with some basic facts about English to kind of allow you to wrap your head around the complexity of this. So for starters, as we know, or maybe, maybe as we may not know, um, Mandarin actually uh, is known for having the most speakers, but um, that's actually a misconception. Uh, Mandarin has the most native speakers, but English, the English language, um, has the most non-fluent and non-native speakers. So out of everyone in the world, English is spoken more, but Mandarin just has uh, more native, uh, more fluent speakers. But English has more non-fluent and more non-native speakers on top of the already native population. On top of being widely spoken, it also has the most words out of every other language in the world. Russian is uh, number second. Little fun fact right there. Um, speaking of the most words, we also have a pretty um, ridiculous way, obviously, that we spell things, but also at the length of which we spell things. The longest word that we have is 45 letters. Why? That's like a whole, that's a whole paragraph right there for one word. That is absolutely ridiculous. Um, it doesn't end there. We got long words. We got the most words. Um, and we also technically um, have more than a million words, but that's combining old, new, 
the same word with uh, different meanings or the a different word, but they are spelled the same. You know how it gets. Um, but right now, there's about 170,000 words um, in current use, and the average adult male in America knows about or uses about 20,000 to 3,000 words. So we kind of just have a bunch of of just old words and um, random words that are, are kind of just sitting around in our dictionaries and in the back of our minds. So um, as you can see, English is huge. It's everywhere in the world and even though we only have 24 letters in the alphabet they can be arranged in a million different ways and that's an actual number so we're not off to a great start on you know the prognosis of how we're going to change it but the english language um, although it's kind of set in stone it's it's not stagnant there's new words added every year um, according to EnglishLive.ef.com, quote, during a project looking at words in distinguished books, researchers from Harvard University and Google in 2010 estimated a total of 1,022,000 words and that the number would grow by several thousand every year from 2010. So I, I'm not a mathematician, but it's been about uh, 11, 11 years since then so that would be let's say it was 1,000 every year you know that's a 11,000 that it has grown and you know over I mean at, at the minimum more than uh, 11,000 words have been added to the English language uh, since 2010 um, that that's kind of insane to me but um, it's true I mean every year we get you know new slang um, new inventions are made every year new products those come with different names um, so even though the grammar and the, the spelling is kind of set in stone quote-unquote um, the words that we have are not so if we were to go about changing it we'd also have to be able to jump on top of every single you know word that is created every year which is in the thousands so Obviously, that would be quite the headache. And the language that we have set up right now is already enough of a headache to worry about when talking about reform, you know, let alone the thousands that uh, thousands of new words that come in every single year. There are actually over 1,100 different ways to spell our current uh, 44 sounds and 26 letters, um, which is deplorable insane it's really bad and that's just the spelling um, but according to Mott Follick the case for spelling reform in 1964 page 87 quote English spelling is almost divorced from its pronunciation and forms hardly any guide as to how words should be pronounced end quote um, so essentially what that's saying is our spelling and our uh, speaking are completely separated from each other and don't really have anything to do with each other, which is uh, crazy. But so we have, you know, the problem with our, our spelling, but we also have the problem with our speaking. So when we talk about the reform of the English language, we're not talking about, um, you know, our spelling and pronunciation and all of that as a whole. We're talking about reforming two separate things. But you see, um, we shouldn't really be worrying about those thousands upon thousands of new words that are coming in every year when we can't even get a grip on the words we already have now. Um, because here's a statistic, or I guess a fact, 
um, that's completely insane, but also completely true, is that um, we have over 1,000 ways, uh, 1,100 different ways to be exact, to spell our 44 different sounds and 26 different letters. Yeah. Um, that's pretty bad, and that's just a, you know, fact about spelling. Um, our English, uh, speaking, our speaking English, <laughs> which I clearly can't do, is completely a separate issue, completely divorced from our, uh, our spelling. So when we're talking about reforming the English language, we're not talking about spelling and uh, speaking as a whole. We're talking about them as two separate issues. So you can reform spelling all you want, but it's not going to, you know, fix the discrepancies in our speech. So, uh, you know, what kind of problems would that, would that cause if we were to be like, okay, well, we're going to actually nail it down and create a committee and change the way that we spell things, but then how are you going to make people change the way that they speak? Um, you really can't. You can't really control that. So it would, you know, cause a lot of different problems, which is why the uh, argument against reform is so strong, just because there's so many different complications. Uh, a great example of something I never even thought about when addressing this issue is that, uh, you know, English is, as we've covered, a very wide-spoken language. So if you go about changing it, not everyone's going to get the memo uh, as soon as possible. And even if you were to change the written communication, uh, the speech, as we just said, would be much harder to standardize. Like, how do you standardize the way people speak? It kind of just comes, you know, naturally. So uh, the, the lack of regulation available for speaking and uh, kind of the lack of enforcement of it would cause a lot of different communication issues between, you know, the worldwide, uh, you know, nation of English speakers. Uh, written communication and verbal communication between nations, uh, certain parts of, you know, more remote nations would now become, you know, practically impossible because you would have people using the, the new reform spelling and then people who never had access to it or never heard about the change being like, what is this? So it's not just talking about, you know, schools in America. When we talk about English reform, we're talking about a global uh, issue here. So it's way super complicated um, and I feel like I'm making it too abstract, but it basically boils down to this. We have so many ridiculous rules, such an in-depth and crazy history with this language in terms of spelling and spelling alone. So going about and trying to change the spelling uh, of certain English words or the way we spell in general would certainly be very difficult. And then you'd have to enforce it in every country uh, every household and every school that teaches or speaks English, which, you know, one would argue it's a waste of resources, but one would also argue that that is completely impossible. And then you have issue number two, which is the way people speak, which is um, you're not able to regulate that. So in my opinion, there is really no hope for reform, but so I think, guys, we're just stuck with it, to be honest. It's, it's impossible to reform it. 
um, I used to be quite the advocate for English reform, but now that I've kind of gone in and done all this research, I realized that that would be quite the headache and probably not possible. But it's still good to know that the way it is has a reason behind it. And it's, you know, not just, you know, it is the way it is, like most of my teachers would say. It's, there's a real reason, and it's a very interesting and complex reason. So, you know, the next time you get really frustrated with how to spell things, just remember, it's not your fault. You're not a bad speller. It's just scholars in the 17th century were probably on drugs. I mean, like, come on, guys. They had to be at this rate. This is ridiculous, but... It's not you guys. It's not you, okay? It's Noah Webster sitting in his in, on his desk in his office chuckling maniacally as he writes down color without a U and is telling his best friend Shakespeare that like, hey, I'm going to say this is to remove French influence, but I'm actually just just being an a-hole. So, yep. Well, that is the end of uh, Discovery 3. To be honest, there is a ton of uh, facts left on my little note pages that I'm just like, this might be interesting to say, but then I'm like, okay, but you could probably go on an, another hour-long tangent about the history. So um, as I tend to encourage, if you want to know more or if you, uh, if I didn't cover something that you're super interested in, um, you know, give it a, give it a Google, you know, Google never hurt nobody. Okay. Just make sure you got that spell check on, make sure you got the spell check on because we all know how it be. Damn you Webster. us to the end of wrapped up episode six sounded out for bad results today we answered the topic question why english spelling and speaking are non-linear we learned about the 15th century craziness that was going on with this language we learned about the vikings the normans the english the french uh, you know, the scholars who had absolutely no idea what they were doing, Noah Webster, Shakespeare, guys, we covered a ton. And, uh, you know, I'm proud of you for making this far. I'm proud of you, you know, you get, you get in the end of the episode, you, you made it past the craziness, you're still alive, congrats. So, yeah, we learned about the history, we learned about how the English language is structured, how new words are just around the corner and why reform is probably impossible. So thank you for joining me today and I hope to see you back next week. Peace out. Thanks for joining me, CJ, your podcast host this week and tune in next week, Wednesday at 11 a.m. to get wrapped up in another super interesting combo. Follow this podcast to get the latest updates and share this episode to spread the answer for why is English spelling and English speaking nonlinear? Bye!